With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Tennis.com podcast, and here's your host, Ed McGrogan. Hello, friends. Australian Open preview podcast time here in Tennis.com land. I'm Ed McGrogan, joined by Steve Tigner, who's been slaving away all day at the previews that he brings to the table four times a year and other times as well when warranted. So, Steve, um, I figure you know there's a lot obviously to uh to to go down here i think we'll start with the men and um and, ca- and kind of go from there and before we go there i have to give um credit to the australian open and whomever is running their website for uh highlighting each individual first round match so you don't have to double check who is actually playing who i thought that was a very little helpful uh mm. helpful mm-hmm. highlighting there so it's an innovation it's a big innovation yeah yeah, 2017. Here we are. Um, so, you know, you enter, you, you take a first look. I think the draw comes off pretty pretty strong right away here with, you know, we have an unfamiliar name at the top for the slams, Andy Murray, number one. And in his quarter of the draw, um, you know, the opposing top seed is number five, Kane Shikori, but the real seed that most – people will draw to their eyes right away is the 17 seed Roger Federer. And it was actually pointed out earlier today that, um, that when Sampras won the open in, um, in 2002, he was actually the number 17 seed. So how about that? When Sampras won the open, yeah, his last slam, he was the number 17 seed. And there, and here we have Roger, uh, at a very unfamiliar number 17 in the draw. Just, I'm just putting that out there. Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. That that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I mean, uh, I guess it doesn't matter what seed he is, right? He's well. I guess I guess in a way that almost kind of segues into into this talking point is, you know, when if Murray and Federer do tangle in the quarterfinals here, I mean, at that at that point, I know we're getting a lot ahead of ourselves, but I think it's still worth talking about. Is you know you can. Can you pretty much throw it out the window at that point, given their history? The seating and the... The seating and, you know, maybe even Roger Federer's absence for six months before the tournament. And I know there's, and like I said, I know there's a lot in between there, but I think this is what comes off the page right away is uh, is this potential quarterfinal. And maybe we can just start kind of with this... Uh, yeah, I don't think you can throw it out. I mean, Federer has a good draw at first. He'll play a qualifier and then another qualifier, but then he has to play Burditch third round. That's, you know, that's kind of the downside of the 17th seed. Burditch is a guy who's, he obviously doesn't usually beat Federer, but he has beaten him six times. If he wins that, then he plays Nishikori potentially two days later. Um, 
a guy who's beaten him and who's obviously a good player. And then two days after that, he gets Murray. So I think, I think then you start to, you know, is he going to be ready for all of that? And then even more after six months off, that's, you know, that's a, that's a big question. Federer has won the last five times he's played Murray. The last time Murray won was here in 2013. Um, you know, Murray's best year. I mean, you can kind of look at Murray sort of back where he was, and he's got Lendl with him again. Lendl was there that year. Um, Murray's number one. I think he's going to, you know, if he plays Federer, he's really not going to want to lose that match. Federer's kind of has had his number, but Murray's, you know, Murray took advantage of of Federer and Nadal being absent last year to, to get to number one. And I think Murray has an easier draw. Um, you know, that's where being the number one seed obviously helps. He's got first seed he could play is Query. Uh, next highest is Lucas Puy. So, you know, Federer's got the harder road to get to that match. And I and if those are long matches Federer has to play, that'll you know, that'll that'll take its toll in his first real tournament back. Yeah, and and one thing I um want to mention is Puy actually. I, I think that when it comes to the Australian Open, you um we often we often really go you know go back to the U.S. Open as some of the last time many tennis fans have even seen and watched some of these players play um, on national, you know, on, on the big stage here, of course. And, uh, and Pui, you know, like Pliskova on the women's side, I, I think there's a little bit of remembering, you know, that run of his and his play there against Nadal and Flushing Meadows Um is something pretty recent in, in a way, and, and I was wondering what maybe your thoughts are on Pui, um, you know, now at a number sixteen ranking, and really maybe you know not even just for this tournament, but what we see for him this year overall. Just because I think it's, uh, I, I, th- I think we came away from last year and the Open in particular pretty impressed. Yeah, he's had two good Grand Slams, the last two Wimbledon and and the u.s open so you know he can win these you know he he's good at, he seems to be good in these three out of five set matches um i guess look looking ahead for him in this tournament he could play john isner which is obviously a wild card kind of match um that's a real test you know that's that's something different not really necessarily based on who's the better player overall um so that'll be interesting and then he could play murray and he's you know he's dangerous for murray murray kind of specializes in beating these younger guys and, and sort of keeping them in their place just with, with his experience. So I, I still like him in that match, but, but Pui's a guy who somehow seems sort of faceless or, or he doesn't make that much news. You don't, nobody really talks about him much. Um, but he could, you know, he could end up being the best or the second best among this, you know, the younger group. Yeah. He's right in there along with, um, you know, in, in that sort of generation that we lump, we lump him together with um, Nish Corey, of course, at five there as well. Um, you know, one of the higher numbers for him too of a seating for a slam. Um, obviously, someone to still keep in mind with this draw. It's a, it's a very uh, it's a very good, pretty deep quarter, I think overall. Um, and and it yeah. really, you know, what you see when you move to the second quarter um, of the draw. I don't think it really slows down too much there either. I, I think, I do think overall, if you're, if you're looking at who ends up with the, the tougher half Murray or Djokovic too, I, I do think that Murray facing a lot of obstacles, um, you know, 
potential obstacles. I think it's a little bit of a stronger half on his side. And in the second quarter, um, you, you have Stan Wawrinka at number four, our most recent major champion. Um, you also have both of the, the Aussie men that will get a lot of uh, time on Rod Laverina, Kyrgios, and Bernard Tomic. Um, two very, you know, Chilich and Sock, I sort of lump them together in a way of, you know, clearly Chilich, of course, a major champion number seven, but two guys that you probably don't, you know, you, you shouldn't discount or want to forget about, even though they, you know, Sock is coming off, I should say, a, a pretty good open. Chilich, actually, he came into the open last year um, with a bit of momentum and just really didn't put it together there. So this, you know, this quarter of the draw as well, um, pretty deep and I think a tough one to call actually. Yeah, it's a pretty big hitting quarter. A lot of a lot of power players in here. Vavrinka, um, Kyrgios, they could play in the fourth round. Sanga could play Sock in the third round. Um, and also the, the this young kid, Russian kid, Karin Kachanov, he could play Sock in the second round match. That'll be a that will be a real battle, battle of forehand. So there's a lot of a lot of big hitters, a lot of guys I feel like who could you know, a group of guys who could do damage in this tournament. Vavrinka, obviously. I think Kyrgios, he looks like, you know, I almost feel like Kyrgios is, has, hasn't really done as well as he should have in Australia. You know, we like to say he loves the big, big stage, but I feel like he's, it's agitated him a little down there. He, you know, he always plays the big night match. Uh, it's, you know, there's always a lot of expectations. He hasn't completely broken through there. Possibly this is the year he seems to like playing Stan. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think uh, you know that you know when you when you talked about Murray Federer, the first quarter of sort of projecting where things could go. This one clearly is that Stan and Nick possibility. Um, you know, mm-hmm. obviously just tailor made for the uh, the three thirty a.m. match and the East Coast nighttime in Melbourne. There, I mean, I mean, do you think that 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 those two guys and maybe Stan in particular, I mean, has, I mean, has that, is this kind of really in the past and this is sort of being overblown a little bit, or, I mean, I, I think the, I think that, I think that we can certainly project that that's a very, that's a likely match. It depends how curious where it comes back with, but do you think that sort of venom with that match is really going to materialize into anything if that happens? I don't think so. I think it seems like they've played enough and there's enough time has gone by that, you know, I mean, they're never, I don't doubt they'll ever be friends, but um, it seems like they're past that. It would be, it would be, I think, hard to imagine they could keep that going. To, you know, I think it's what would be a year and a half now. Yeah. Yep. Um, uh, that could all change once they get on a court. And if, if Curios acts up and Vavrinka gets annoyed, that could all start again. But I think, I don't think it'll start with, with that kind of edge. Um, I think Stan will want, you know, Kyrgios won their last match. I think Stan will want, be especially, you know, want to win that match. Um, I also look at Jack Sock as an interesting case. Like you said, he's in the final in Auckland. He seems like he's ready. You know, I think we said it last year. Like, it seems like he's ready for a big year. Um, we've heard a lot about his, his, him working out, uh, his workout regimen, uh, this year he had a decent he had a pretty good year last year um he seems like he has a good draw the top seed in his section is chilich a guy that he destroyed at the u.s open last year yep. so 
it wouldn't be surprising to see Sock in the quarters. Yeah, and I, I'm curious, Roy, to just see, you know, to tie back to Kiros one last time, is really just the crowd sort of in their allegiance and how much invested they are in Kyrgios and for for that matter Tomich as well who's who's in this draw it's it's always sort of an interesting subplot given sort of the the soaring highs and the really you know cratering lows that both of those two have have experienced and really will probably continue to experience one last remark on this draw is um or on this this quarter, you know, you talked to Steve Johnson a lot last year for a story in the magazine, and he had a career year. He's in this draw. He he may, um, you know, speaking of U.S. Open rematches, he may face Stan. Or sorry, he played Del Potro at the Open, but he could get Wawrinka very early in this draw, second round, if if they both advance. Johnson plays Federico Del Bonas. Um, I was kind of wondering just off his career year and, you know, he was briefly the top ranked American. I, I wondered if you got the sense that Steve was really still building towards something that, that, that he projects to have, you know, whatever that is in his career. He's obviously a, a bit of a late bloomer when you compare him to players who didn't play college tennis and who came on the tour much younger. I just wanted to get a sense of what you saw from him maybe, you know, toward his future and what's still to come for him. Yeah, I think he, you know, I think he takes it week by week. I don't think he sees himself as a guy who's, I mean, I, you know, you, you just have to look at a guy when he plays Vavrinko or even when he played, he played Jack Sock this week. Those guys just have more, more shots than, you know, more power. They can do, they can take over points more quickly than, than Johnson, you know, Steve's more, a little more of a grinder, um, little more just has to stay in there and, and stay patient and work at it. And I think he knows that. And I think, I, I think that's the attitude he takes. I don't know if he really looks ahead too much as far as long-term goals. I think he's happy to be at this point, you know, having started kind of late, I think he's happy where he to have gotten where he is. And um, I was sort of always struck by how, how confident he stayed even when things weren't going well last year, he seemed to always really believe that that he had the game that you know that he could, he was going to turn it around at some point, and he did. Um, so I don't you know I don't get a sense of him building up like this is the year, mm-hmm. you know. Right. Um, and I think that's I think he's realistic about about what he can do and um, takes it week by week. Yeah, it's a it's a nice diary of his season for those of you who have not uh, checked out the Jan Feb tennis magazine. I recommend it highly. Um, we move to the third quarter of the men's draw, and what I what I see from this quarter is that depending on sort of your feelings on certain players, I think you I think cases can be made uh, really sort of positively and perhaps negatively about a lot of these top names even the even the highest seeds of the draws are in this quarter you have Raonic at number three who I do think proved a lot last year and I think maybe even reassured some critics that um, you know he has demonstrated more than just the shot that he's always going to be known for Um, you have Monfils at six another you know player who Speaking of career years, you know, he certainly had a career. It's still very surprising to see a seed that high next to his name. 
you know, and then you keep going on the line. I think you can just kind of, you know, how does Rafa respond to this year? I think some people are very, very bullish on him and others otherwise. You know, he's now, you know, he'll he'll be 31 come the French Open. Um, you know, has really the, the, the toll just, is, is it too much for him to ask to kind of deal with best of five set tennis over two weeks on a very sort of unforgiving environment here? Um Alexander Zverev, I mean, many people project very high things for him. He's at 24. And you got guys like Ferrer and Simone who are mainstays in the top 15, top 10 for years and years that um, are now at 21 and 25. Um, you know, to this, and uh, as we'll get to the fourth quarter in a minute, but, you know, maybe your thoughts on really the, the names in, the, in this quarter and perhaps where it could go. Yeah, I think the expectations for Raonic are pretty high. This is a real opportunity for him. This section is not, you know, Rafa side. Rafa's in the other side of this section, but it's not a, it's a, you know, it's not a especially strong section. He's got uh, Gilles Simone is the first play, you know, first seed he could play. Bautista Agut is the next seed he would play, and then Monfils, which you know, you know really don't know what, where he's going to end up or what he's going to be be like. At this at this tournament, and Raonic beat him last year at the Australian Open. Beat him three out of four times. Um, so you really have to look at Nadal as probably his his strongest competition. But Rafa in the third round will, might have to play Alexander Zverev, and I think that's that to me is like a fifty fifty match. Um, that you know Zverev had a match point on him last year. He's better than he was when they played last year. Rafa has looked good physically, but still has a little bit of those nerves you know he lost to Raonic in Brisbane when you know when he had a lead it sort of seemed typical from Rafa last year so um and Rafa actually also has a fairly tricky first round match against Florian Mayer who who beat him a few years ago in hardcourt so I, I definitely like Raonic in this section I he doesn't come to Australia this year with a new coach he just has his standard coaching set up with Ricardo Piatti maybe that's a good sign maybe he feels like He's set with that, um, so we'll see. You know, this is this is where he really started playing better last year. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how he, if he can keep that going again. You know, where's kind of the uh, if we look at the top portion of that? Obviously, you're very high on Raonic here. When you when you look at Zverev and Nadal, as you say, two two guys who I think are. I, I say wild cards in the sense that it, it, it's a little tough to project how high and how you know where these two could could kind of end up really as the year goes on. We we have talked a lot about Nadal. Um, I think I think it's almost kind of foolhardy in a way, given given how much the physicality impacts his game, to really project until we get a couple rounds in here. Um, you know, he has that pedigree, of course, of of just you know an, an amazing resume that will that will I think help help him a lot and uh, over this term wherever he goes. I mean for Zverev for for those who for listeners who haven't seen much of him, um, you know we got to see a little of what he was able to do. If you watch Hotman Cup against Federer, we we talked about that uh, last week on the pod or earlier this week on the podcast. But but what does Zverev bring to? Really, men's. You know, what does he bring to the the sport in, in terms of dynamic that some project? You know, amazingly high things for him. Yeah, I think a lot of people see him as a potential number one. Rafa said it last year. Um, 
Federer has said it. He's he's beaten Federer. He had a match point on Rafa. Um, you know, he's six six. He's got the sort of new. He's the you know the next step physically. Six six, big serve. His backhand has always been excellent. Can hit winners on the, you know can hit it like a forehand, and then his forehand itself has gotten better. He's got that shot, which is you know of all the shots you need these days, it's that four you know it's that put away forehand we know, and Zverev has it. So there's really nothing, and, and he seems to be progressing pretty steadily. There's no I don't you know you don't get a lot of sense that he's he's a head case or has any problems that way. If if he played Rafa, like I said, I would put that at about a 50-50 uh, chance, and then if Zverev wins that, you, know, he could, you could easily see him in the quarters. Yeah, yeah, and, and as we as we move to the last quarter here, I have to say, I, I you always want to look at uh, you know what the what some of the best first rounders are in the draw. It, it's you know they're the only matches we we know for certain that are going to happen. As much as we like to think that we're experts on, on projecting what will happen. Um, I like two of them down here. I, I, I have to say the uh, the Tommy Haas Benoit pair match a pretty pretty fun one to start. Haas actually is uh, you know he's he's a tournament director already at Indian Wells and he is you know clearly on his uh, last you know I think it'd be a pretty big surprise if this was not his last uh, Australian Open year in general. But but there he is. He will. Uh, He'll play pair here in a in a first rounder, and then the one that will probably uh, attract a lot more attention is Djokovic and Verdasco, uh, mainly because Verdasco uh, held five match points against Djokovic uh, in Doha. You know, Verdasco has quite a history at the Australian Open. You know, against Nadal, both in victory and defeat. Um, but uh, you know, the two first rounders I like in this court, and there's a little bit more too. Yeah, you know, you hear a lot of talk about how Djokovic has a tough draw, and to to some degree, does Verdasco did almost beat him, but then again, he hasn't lost to Verdasco since 2010. And it's um, best of five sets, of course. It's a it's a it's best of five. Yeah. Verdasco has did beat Rafa here last year, uh, and then also Djokovic, if he gets through the first few rounds, he played Dimitrov, who's had a good start to the year, beat three top ten players and one in Brisbane, but then again, Djokovic. Um, he's never lost to Dimitrov, or or maybe he's lost once. Oh, he did he did lose once to Dimitrov? Sorry, but he's he's got a good record against him. Definitely be favored in that. And then Dominic Team is also in this quarter, um, the number eight seed. But Djokovic has never lost to him, and I I'm not sure if I even like Team to get all the way to the quarters. Uh, so I you know I actually like Djokovic's draw unless Verdasco can come out and really surprise him. I mean Djokovic is definitely going to be ready for that after after their last match in Doha. So, you know, I think I think this is a solid quarter for Novak. Yeah, I mean, it's uh I mean, it's it's hard to see if we do get the kind of uh play that we've been accustomed to from Djokovic and certainly what we saw in Doha, um it's tough to see Djokovic who has just been, you know, so on target at this tournament for so many years. I mean, you know, stretching back to his breakout win in 2008 to owning, you know, winning the tournament five more times. It's, you know, this is, it's really his event until, you know, proven otherwise. It's kind of the challenge essentially that Andy Murray is given, you know, so much sort of scar tissue 
over him over the years, and, and you know, so many and, and a few of those final round losses have come to Djokovic. Um, I mean, I do, you know, we were, we were pressed to pick a winner. I do, I do see kind of Murray making it out of here with his first title, but you know, to me, it is, it's pretty, you know, it, it's pretty tough to to imagine, um, you know, at least the top few seeds not. You know, making their making their seed, if you will, going. I I think there, I think there has been a little bit of, of a you know, even given last year where Rafa and Roger, you kind of seen where things have put them due to injuries and and just the, their career. But I think at the same time, although there was change there, you have kind of seen the top five really firm up a little bit more with Raonic at three. Um, Vavrinka, you know, winning a major, staying at four. Um, you know, I, I think that's kind of almost established a little bit of a, a new order. Now, by no means is that a, uh, you know, a repeat of the previous top four, the incarnation that's just been dominating events for, for so many years. But I think this is kind of a, a pecking order that will probably hold form this tournament. Yeah, I think it's a strong draw. You have the top two guys, um, Murray and Djokovic have been to the finals there the last couple of years. You've got the two guys coming back, Rafa and Roger. Uh, you've got, and you've got this group that's kind of slowly made itself uh, contenders. Raonic, Chilich, Nishikori, Kyrgios, those guys are all, um, you know, those guys all have a chance. They don't do it all the time, obviously, but they're all look pretty solid at the moment. So, you know, I think it's a good, I think it's a good men's draw that could, you know, I'm not picking a major surprise to win, but um, but there's those possibilities are there. Yeah, and you know, let's, you know, could the same really be said for the women's draw almost? And now the obligatory sort of reaction to the, <clears throat> excuse me, to the WTA and their draw, you know, with Serena, certainly more uncertain than before, even at number two. You know, does the W does the women's draw sort of have that feel as well that uh, you know it, it's that there is a bit of an a bit of an order, but it certainly wouldn't be. Um, but there's there's a a group as well that can kind of contend and take it and you know really make this their own here. If you, if we you know we start at the top of the women's here, it's you know, as we did with the men's, this is a this is a new number one uh, for the new year. Angelique Kerber, one and two now as we uh, record this podcast. She's taken two losses this season. Um, she could get a challenge right away in Kasakina um, at the number twenty three seed there, and and uh, it's it's something that Kerber will not um, probably you know. And you have to wonder where the the element of defending the title, defending the points that come with it, you know, how does that play into Kerber and her defense? Um, you know, the the remainder of her quarter is, I don't think, very strong, quite honestly. If you're looking at just the seeds, you have Muguruza, of course, um, who is, you know, the highest opposing seed. Um but I think you know predicting you know those two to definitely make it to the the final eight is um, you know it's ambitious given given especially Muguruza's history. Um, some interesting unseated players here too: Jeannie Bouchard, Coco Vandeweghe, both in this in this uh, area of the draw here. So um, 
I think a bit to digest with this one, but uh, nonetheless, you still have you know 2016's most dominant player. Yeah, Kerber. You know, last year she did show show that she is pretty much always up for the big for the big ones uh, for the big tournaments, Wimbledon, the Olympics, the U.S. Open, Australian Open. She was in the finals of all of them, so you can't discount that. But she has started slowly this year, which is one and two. She didn't look good at all in losing to Kasakina in Sydney and she plays actually, and she could play Kasakina early again in this, but she also has a potentially tough first round against Lizia Zarenko, who won her first three matches in Hobart, who nearly beat Kerber a couple of years ago um, down under in, in Sydney. She won the first set before Kerber came back and Zarenko was sick at the end of Hobart. So that's, you know, it's up in the air whether she'll be ready to play, but that's a decent first round if Kerber's not ready. You know, Kerber didn't really look ready for her first match in either of her first two tournaments. So, you know, I think like you said, Kerber and Serena are have distanced themselves in the last year, Serena obviously, but neither is coming into this, you know, looking, you know, particularly dominant. Um, so this could be, a, you know, I think Kerber is, should be happy with this quarter though. Because the second seed Muguruza is, you know, very unpredictable, and getting, you know, like you said, getting her to the quarters, predicting her even into the quarters is, you know, no, it's not a sure thing at all. Yeah, and um, I, I think it's a fair way to look at Kerber. I think maybe slightly vulnerable is the, is the word, but I do think she'll have the opportunity to kind of reestablish her footing a little bit more, given where, uh, given her quarter here. Um, as for the rest of of her half of the draw here, um, you, you move down to the second quarter. Um, Simona Halep, Svetlana Kuznetsova, the top two seeds. Um, Venus Williams still at thirteen. Svitolina at eleven. Um, Monica Puig at twenty nine. Uh, the gold medalist, of course. Um, it, it's. Again, I don't, I don't really, I don't see it as a very, as a very uh, imposing quarter on at face value. There, I, I think it's really, um, you know, this is sort of in a way, I think, like the third quarter of the men's draw, where there's certainly some opportunity for a few players um, to really, uh, to really make a bit of a run here. I, I guess you know, you have to start though with Halep. Um, and, you know, just kind of thinking back on really, you know, what her mentality is into majors. I think I think it's kind of evolved in a sense where, you know, after her breakout of 2014, I want to say, um, it was really sort of, you know, okay, this is, you know, the next year, this is, you know, it's kind of major or bust time. It's kind of what, what can we see really on the, on the, you know, at this level here. And I wonder if if Halep has really sort of tried to, rep- to you know, repress that a little bit and just sort of, you know, realizing, I guess, her limitations in a sense, but I don't think she's ever lost confidence as well. It, it's kind of a strange balance, but I think that, I think she, I think that she is probably in um, a good space for it. And, you know, as the number four seed here, you know, like Kerber will have, you know, opportunities to kind of work her way into this two-week event. Yeah, I think Halep should be, will be happy not to be the number two seed. She was there last year and she lost in the first round. Um, 
yeah, she's a little bit more under the radar. I do think she that first round again will be tough. She's lost in the first round three times in the last five years here, and she plays Shelby Rogers, who is a who is a player who can who can beat top players. She was a quarterfinalist at the French last year, and she plays a game that can give Halep trouble. She's a she's a big hitter. She's um, tall. She's she's she can hit harder than Halep. That's the kind of match that that could be could be tricky for Halep, and I think. If she does lose, then this becomes a really mm-hmm. a quarter with a lot of opportunity because the second seed here is is Svetlana Kuznetsova. I don't know if anyone really expects her to, to get to the semis. Venus, you don't know exactly what she was in the quarters two years ago, but she lost in the first round last year. I kind of like Svitolina's chances. She's sort of been working up to to some to a Grand Slam quarter or semi. She's done well down there. She beat Serena at the Olympics last year. Um I sort of think she's a dark horse if Halep does lose. Yeah, and um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's really a, a first half um, where I think it's on, you know it is it's kind of on the racket of the top two seeds here, and you know from then on, I think a lot can be uh, can go any number of directions here. Um, we move to the second half, and and as I said about Luca Pui in the in the men's discussion, I think. A lot can be said the same for Karolina Pliskova, um, who is the first name you see at the top of the draw. She's she's at number five, um, and in, in her quarter is Agnes Garwanska, number three as well. Um, you know, for Pliskova, who has had a very nice start to the year winning in Brisbane um, and winning very convincingly, I think there is a lot of reason for optimism with her, um, you know, we saw her run to the open final, beating Serena and Venus along the way, giving Kerber a, a, a good match in the final two. Um, it's uh, and 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 not really, um, you know, if, if you're looking at kind of trickier seeds in the way of her um, until you kind of get into the second week, if you will. Um, Pliskova's chances I'm pretty high on for this, uh, to be quite honest with you, and I think uh, I, I think it's. Again, it, it might be a little bit of that recency bias when you think of what she done at the what she did at the Open, but it's hard to uh, hard to take that out of the equation. And quite honestly, it's hard to see for me to picture if Pliskova is is showing that kind of play again, which, as I just mentioned, you know she did during this opening week of the year. You know her against um, you know if you if you want to say a Rodwanski if she uh, if she does progress that far I do like Pliskova in that matchup. You kind of go from there. Yeah, those two. It's an interesting uh, quarter because you've got two. I mean, you know, two really good players, two very different players who are the top two seeds, Rodwanski and Pliskova, as you said, and they're really above anybody else here. The other seeds: Cornet, Stoser, Festina, Basinski, Kavalova, Putin, Seva. You know. Pliskova and, and Radwanska are are definitely the favorites over anybody there. Um, Red, I think Pliskova has she has the higher ceiling. She can do if she's playing well. I think she, I do think she will beat Radwanska. You know, Aga has been to the semis a couple times here. She's obviously steadier. She's number number three in the world. You know, I think both will see this as a real opportunity. Maybe you know they're on Serena in Serena's half, but maybe Serena's not quite what she has been, you know, not looking quite as good right now. Um, and plus, you know, Pliskova, before she reached the open final last year, she won a turn- big tournament in Cincinnati. She's coming off a tournament win 
in in Brisbane. Maybe now, maybe we are seeing her kind of take that confidence from last summer and, and consolidate it into something steadier. You, you know, you'd like to think so. She ha- she really does have the draw to do something to to do something good here. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's uh, you know, as I said, with uh, one of the one of the cores of the men's, you have really two of the top Aussies here, Gavrilova, Stozer. Certainly by no means is Stozer reliable with this. She's really had a pretty poor history at her home slam here. But um, but I think I think that Pliskova-Rodwanska match, if that does materialize, as you said, you're getting two, two polar opposite players, but two very, very talented players. And I think... I think it's really one of the one of the matches that uh, I think a lot would hope to to uh, to happen here, and uh, one probably probably the best quarterfinal if it uh, if it comes to pass here. Now, if you look, you know, really kind of before that round, I think you're I think as you move to the last quarter of the draw here, I think you're seeing in this quarter, top to bottom, the best one in terms of depth, in terms of talent. Um, Possibly unpredictability. I'm not sure. It kind of really depends on your thoughts on Serena Williams. I mean, right away, she gets you know a match with Belinda Bencic that um, you know maybe a year ago we might have thought a lot more about Bencic actually um, already a little nagging injury after uh, Hotman Cup, but you know Lucy Safarova, a potential uh, a former French Open finalist, could could face the winner of that. You know likely Serena in, in the second round there. But you really look at the depth of this of this quarter overall with, with Sabolkova, who I still think is is capable of of that breakthrough just because of really the sort of all around grinding game that plays well down here at, at number six on the other side. A very high seed for her. Um you have Kanta who's had a nice week um in Sydney at number nine. I don't really love, you know, I, I do think you have to kind of have exercise a little caution with her. Um, I think, again, it's sort of, you know, this is sort of new ground for her having to defend semifinal points. And just I'm a little suspicious of, of, of you know, I want to tap the brakes a little bit on her, but that doesn't discount what she adds to this quarter, which also includes Wozniacki, who, who ended 2016 on a very strong, uh, you know, a very good run there. You have other seeds. Caroline Garcia still, you know, has kind of established herself in the top twenty. Um, you know, really sort of, uh, and you have players like Strixova, Makarova, certainly capable of giving any high-ranking player a tough time here. So, you know, it's really if you kind of ask the question about you know Serena or the field when it comes to this quarter, I think there's a lot of you know, a lot of landmines in the way and a lot, uh, a lot interesting to watch for. Yeah. You've got some, you know, Serena, but bench it, you have to consider right away. Bench beat her last summer. I still would obviously pick Serena bench. just kind of coming back. Um, I think she was hurt earlier this year already. So, you, you know, you still of course favor Serena there, but that's, that's a good night match. Uh, Sybil Kova, the second seed, she, you know, finished the year, um, and on a, on a great run last year, but she hasn't been hasn't looked quite so sharp earlier this year. She's been to the finals of the Australian Open, and then you have Kanta, who really has looked as good as anybody. She beat Redwanska um, in the tournament this past weekend. She she has done well in Australia before. 
her draw looks pretty good. She could face Wozniacki. Uh, you know, I have to still probably have to like Conta in that. So she, she's definitely somebody who could who could reach the semifinals. I guess it all, you know, it still really just depends on where Serena is. Um, you know, if she if Serena beats Benchitz, I kind of like her draw from there for a while that she can work her way into the into the tournament. And and I think one thing about this, um, you know, these Australian Open draws this year is, <clears throat> excuse me, is that. We're we're still you know players have gotten back to full health for the most part going this year, but we're we're still missing some big names. And the men's side, you, you we we didn't mention Del Potro; he's not in this one. He's taking this tournament off here. But you know, for the women's side in particular, it even provides more sort of opportunity and perhaps importance. You know, given that we're gonna we're you know, you're missing Madison Keys at number eight, who would have been certainly projected, uh, I think, on a pretty uh, pretty good clip for this tournament you you have maria sharapova who will be coming back later in the year in april she's confirmed that she's back in stuttgart uh victoria zarenka not in this draw uh to be determined when she comes back you obviously have kvitova not playing given what happened um with her you know not to and not to say ivanovich would have made a you know a dent in this draw but there are a lot of big names on the women's side that are not in this draw. And you, know, you wonder, given that, I've mentioned a few slam winners there already, and there are certainly, you know, players in the top, even as high, you know, I could say, I believe the numbers three through number six on the WTA rankings, that none of them have won a major title. And we do still have this bit of uncertainty with Serena and Kerber to a degree. I don't think any of us have, have are ultimately convinced that you know a run to the final is destiny for them so i wonder you know i think that's a big thing to keep in mind is really the dynamic of this particular women's draw at this australian open yeah i think it does seem to me that that wta that it's the right time for a new slam winner it's the right tournament you take out azarenka and kvitova two slam winners you take out madison key's a dangerous player it does you look at Kerber and Serena, neither of them starting out the year on fire. Um, you start to think if somebody, if people like Redwansko or Halep or Pliskova, if they're going to win majors, um, even even Sibylkova, uh, you know, if those people are going to those people are going to break through at any point, this 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 would seem to be the this would be the one. Yeah, and we'll uh, we'll have it covered pretty heavily. It's a uh... It's obviously an all-nighter if you want to make it that way, but um, if you just want to come back during the day, you'll wake up to quite a bit. Um, daily previews, reviews, a lot of, you know, just, you know, the tournament covered top to bottom, as we often do here. Um, and, you know, as you can just go to the site right now, uh, men's and women's previews, quarter by quarter, um, our picks. There is a lot to digest on tennis.com, also on baseline.tennis.com as well. Um, it's a, you know, it's it's one of the majors. I have to say, it, this one doesn't. Um, this one usually kicks off the year pretty well. The Australian Open has really sort of. Um, it's grabbed that. I think over the last decade, it's really just continued to build on. I think an increased presence in the game, and really just uh, as you know. For a while, I think it was established as as sort of the fourth uh, 
the fourth wheel of the majors. I don't think it's that way anymore, and, the, and I just think we're going to see it bear itself out again uh, down in Melbourne. So with that said, um, we will, uh, we'll be back on the podcast for sure during the tournament. We'll find uh, some good opportunities to, I think, you know, we'll base it a little bit more on really what has transpired and I think uh, pop in when, when uh, we need to talk about something. So for Steve and Ed, uh, as always, thank you for listening to the Tennis.com podcast. You've been enjoying the Tennis.com podcast. For all the latest news and events, head over to Tennis.com.